0: okay cool (laughs) i'm monica and for everyone who doesn't know me um wasn't that a beautiful worship i really enjoyed that last song um this morning i'm going to read to you um first john chapter 2 uh, verses 18 through 27 um before nathan comes up here and gives us more insight to it um dear children I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father, the the Son as the, has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He promised us: eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from Him and received from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you all about the things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as Just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming.
1: Thanks, Monica. Yeah, this morning, um, we're going to be continuing on and... First John. We've been in this book for three or four uh, weeks. If you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles, if you if you brought them, we're going to be reading out of the NIV this morning. Uh, there are sermon notes. Uh, they were next to the bulletin, or um, maybe in the app as well. You can you can check for that. But so far in the book of John, John's been setting up a bunch of different contrasts. See, the book was written. 60 or 70 years after Jesus had ascended into heaven at 90 to 115 A.D., scholars think. And at this point, there's now beginning to be some, t- some false teaching. And John is sending a letter, the first of his three letters, to this church in order to remind them of what is really true. And I know it's Mother's Day, but I thought, what would be better to preach on for our mothers than Christ and the Antichrist, right? <laughs> So, so far, John's been setting up these contrasts. What? Well, on the first part, light versus darkness. The new commandment versus the old commandment. Loving the Father versus loving the world. That was last week. Even here, we see truth versus lies. Today, we're going to be talking more about the Christ versus the antichrists. Soon, he's going to be talking about children of God versus children of the devil. Eternal life versus eternal death. Love versus hatred. Love Uh, um, love and fear, having life versus not having life. You see what he's doing. He's setting up these contrasts. And so what the scripture is going to to tell us as we get into it and we go through it line by line, verse by verse, is going to help us build uh, an idea of what this antichrist, the antichrists plural, uh, spirit is like. So that we can be warned by it. And as I was going through this, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" There was one word that seemed to be more pronounced than anything as I was thinking about this, and the word is "insidious." Insidious is something, a disease, or something that develops so gradually as to be well established before becoming apparent that it's a disease. That's from Merriam-Webster, or Uh, from dictionary.com, operating or proceeding in an inconspicuous or seemingly harmless way, but actually having a grave effect, slowly and secretly causing harm. And and that's what's going on here. We see these antichrists who began with the Christians, and yet at some point they they became not a part of the Christians, and John is warning them, warning the Christians of these antichrists. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at what that means, what Antichrist means, and compare it to the Christians. And then we're going to be looking at two other themes that I also saw coming out of here. One was anointing. You see the the word anointing a bunch of times. And then lastly, remaining, what it means to remain in Christ. So so this thinking about illustrations for insidious nature. I mean, there were a ton of them. Abby and I lately have been watching the Marvel movies. And if you're familiar with those, all all throughout, there's these people that kind of begin as good guys and they end up being evil. Uh, In the Captain America movies, the Hydra versus S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, Captain America comes and he fights the Nazis Uh, They're called Hydra, and they're saying Heil Hydra throughout the movie. And he defeats him in the first movie. Then he gets frozen. Then 60 years later, he comes and he's working for the good guy's shield. And he realized that Hydra, even 70 years later, 60 years later, has infiltrated, and he has to defeat him again. So once again, you see this begins as a good guy, insidiously turns evil. Uh, Another example, Loki and Thor, right? Loki and Thor, both sons of Odin, both good guys in Norse mythology, Loki, man, you think he's a good guy. Sorry, I'm spoiling this for people who haven't seen it. (laughs) Okay, one more, one more. Spider-Man, right? Uh, The Osbournes. Osbournes, good guys, right? Medical geniuses, doing lots of good stuff. Not to spoil it again, but who who ends up being the Green Goblin? (laughs) So John is saying, look, beware, because they began with you. They began with you. And now they have a spirit. They're actually people who are turning. So how do we how do we understand who the the antichrists are? What that means and all this stuff? Um, I think the first thing that I notice is he says here in, in in verse eighteen he says this is the last hour. You've heard that the antichrist is coming. The antichrist. Even now, many antichrists have come. When I first read this, I was thinking, okay, I've heard about this Antichrist figure. If you're thinking the Antichrist, that's in Revelation. Jesus, or John, once again, John, with the the vision, sees this Antichrist figure come and and have this battle with Jesus. Um, But here he's saying that there are many of them. What else are characteristics of them? Verse 19, they went out from us, but they did not belong with us. You see, they left the body of believers for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And then, and then we go down, and he's comparing lies and truth. He says, I, "I do not write this to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know the truth. No lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar?" And then this is this is this is what he says: It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such person is the antichrist, denying the father and the son there's a there's a there are two kind of words here in contrast in greek there's the pseudo christ and there's the antichrist and the pseudo christ is the one who proclaims to be the messiah that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about somebody who embodies a spirit that is antithetical to christ they deny that jesus is the christ and this is the heresy of this time in the, next, in the next chapter, in chapter 4, he's going to say, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist. It's people, and it's a spirit, people who do not acknowledge that Jesus is from God. So I think it's important to say, what does it mean to deny that Jesus is the Christ, and what does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? Deny, they disown, they abandon, they profess that Jesus is not the Christ. They don't believe it. What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? I could go into more detail here. Uh, Christ and Messiah both have the same meaning. They both mean anointed one. Uh, Pastor Dan preached on this in in the Names of Jesus series around Christmas time. So go back Check check on that, but they both mean the same thing. They both need mean anointed one. They both mean that Jesus is the one who saves and reigns over us. So any spirit or any person that denies that Jesus only saves or that Jesus reigns over us, such spirit is a spirit of the Antichrist. And John makes it clear, and the whole New Testament makes it clear. Uh, That this type of these types of anti Christian forces will manifest them and their implacable opposition to Christ and his church in every generation. And so, this warning to this church is the same warning to us that there are spirits and there are people who embody ideas and philosophies that are antithetical to the gospel message, which is Jesus has come and saves us, and only Jesus. Saves us. For us, the Antichrist would be any idea or any person that insidiously moves your faith, your hope, your security, your joy, your peace, and your love away from Jesus and puts it somewhere else. It is a spirit that reverts you back to your pre-Christian life in which you were on the throne of your own life. Any idea that takes your faith away from Jesus and puts it in something else. Such thing as the Antichrist. Any spirit that moves your hope away from Jesus and puts it somewhere else. It's the Antichrist. Anything that takes your ultimate security or your ultimate joy and moves it away from Christ and puts it somewhere else. Such spirit is the spirit of the Antichrist. As I was thinking through this and and praying about it, I I was thinking, Lord, what are those spirits of the Antichrist in our generation, in our world? And um, one of them that, that came to my mind was the the idea of materialism. Right? What is materialism? Hey, your hope is in this product. Your joy is in this product. Your security, your comfort are in are in this product. Your image and 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 what you uh you know this this product, this thing will give you a a image or something. Not that those things aren't helpful sometimes and that they do provide joy and the peace and all that stuff, but slowly sometimes those can move our ultimate hope and our ultimate security away from Jesus and into things. And this materialism is screaming at us every day. Uh, Pastor Dan said last week, he said, if you, if you want to know what water is, don't ask a fish. Getting at, when, when you're so flooded, where a fish is so surrounded by water, they don't even recognize it anymore. And I was thinking, okay, is this, is this true? And I saw this, this, this statistic uh, that, that talked about how many ads per day the average U.S. adult sees. Anybody have any idea? I mean, open, open floor. How many ads the average American sees each day?
0: 7,000.
1: <laughs> that's good. That's a little high. That's a little high. 82. 82? All right. Higher than that? 400? Higher than that? 2,000, more than that. So back in the 70s, actually, I was wrong. You were you were close to the ballpark. I, In my mind, I had a different, but this is right.
0: <laughs> Obviously, I'm seeing way too many.
1: Years. PAUL HUMBLES, everyone. Paul HUMBLES. He's right. No, in the 70s, it was reported that the average person saw between 500 and 1,600. Now, in 2020, the estimate is between 6,000 and 10,000. You said 7,000, right? 6,000 and 10,000 ads every day. How? Um, Paid search ads. You ever notice on Google when you search something, the top four are ads. In-app banners, video ads, streaming ads, social media ads, email ads, digital banner ads, web pages, in-game ads, product placement. You ever watch a movie and they're like, hmm, great Coke. Coke paid for that to be in there. This is, this is crazy. Um, Google has managed to grow its advertising revenue every single year for the past 19 years. And in, in uh, 2019 alone, $139 billion in revenue. That's with a B. That's billion, you know, dollars in revenue from uh, advertisements, Facebook is behind them, 69 million in 2019. So there's this huge, we have built a culture where we're trying to just throw things in your face and say, hey, look, this thing is going to make your life better. This thing's going to make you more satisfied. This thing's going to give you more hope, more joy, more peace. And once again, some of those things are great, right? We benefit from those things. But we just need to beware that there's this, there's this materialism that can move our hope and our trust and our joy and our peace Away from God and into something else. And when that thing is hitting at us and hitting at us and hitting at us, day after day, I couldn't believe this number, honestly. I was like, there's no way I see 6,000 ads. Anybody else there just kind of blown away by that number? Whew, that's crazy. Another another spirit that, as I was praying through, I thought, wow, this, this is antithetical to, to Christ. Is this hyper individualized culture that we live in where we make it happen for ourselves we don't show weakness we pull ourselves up by the bootstraps we don't show vulnerability what is that doing that's putting ourselves on the throne of our lives it's saying we don't need others because we're ultimately the one who's going to make it happen for ourselves and it's wrecking havoc on our culture um, so I saw this. This statistic also blew me away that um, CBS News published th- this article, probably published in other places, because it was from Cigna. They found that 46% of US adults report sometimes or always feeling lonely, and 46% report feeling left out. They called this epidemic levels. You see, in the kingdom of God, there is no loneliness. And if we can't eliminate this epidemic as a church, we should do whatever we can to make it less of an issue, less present. And in, in, this, in this culture, freedom oftentimes means the liberty to not have our lives impacted by others. But that's an, uh, that's an unbiblical definition, right? In Christ, we have freedom to connect, our freedom is to actually be known by and to know God and to know and be known by others. Uh, we're freed from the, the slavery of sin. And what sin does is it disconnects people. And so, of, of course, we are individual and we live individual lives. But we live those in relationship with others. And we should be leaning into those relationships because the, 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 the gospel message, Found in the character of Christ and, and in God and in the Trinity, God exists in an eternal community. And anything that tries to break that bond of community is uh, antithetical because once again it's putting our ourselves our on our own thrones instead of God on the thrones. And so this is something that we'll probably discuss more. What are the what are the philosophies and the things that are are denying that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Savior and then we know we've got to know the truth and lean into that truth. So the, the first point from this section is um, Antichrist, that Christians are committed both to the body of Christ and to the truth that Jesus is the Christ. Remember first the Antichrist left the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and in all. So committed to the body of Christ. What does this mean? It doesn't mean that they don't leave Franklin Community Church. That's not. But the people are committed to growing community on the truth that Jesus is the one who saves and are committed to walking hand in hand with other believers who believe that same thing and want to live that out authentically. The present in location and in spirit. I think that the first denier, I mean the first thing that we see, we we saw Judas do this, right? Judas was with the body of Christ. Eventually he Walked away denying who Jesus was, the Messiah. And we're committed to the truth that Jesus is the Christ. Notice that the commitment is to the truth that Jesus is the Christ, right? This isn't trying to figure out, you know, differences and you know baptism age of baptism and frequency of communion and worship styles and those sorts of things those are secondary right the the essential thing the essential thing that john says here is that you hold to the truth that jesus is the messiah what's been helpful for me is uh, this i don't remember when i heard it or where i heard it you've probably heard it before it's it's just kind of a code for how we interact with other Christians. It's in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, love or charity. In essentials, we're unified. In non-essentials, there's liberty. You know, people may baptize at different times, babies or adults, and people may have communion every week or every other week. But there's liberty in those things. But in all things, charity. What is charity? Charity is giving yourself for another person's good regardless of their willingness or ability to reciprocate. So as we are living out this and we're following the truth, we need uh, humility and discernment to know what are those essential things. And then also humility to understand that we need we need other people to help us. We need other perspectives to learn um, and to grow. So I wanna move on um, the second, The second thing here, I want to talk about anointing. The anointing that we've received from Christ. Christians are set apart by the Holy Spirit for a glorious purpose. Um, Look at what it says. He's talking about the Antichrist. And then in verse 20, he says, but you, and that's glorious. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know the truth. We've received an anointing. From the Holy One. This anointing, it says in verse 27, teaches you about all things, and the anointing is real. So, the the key to understanding this passage is what does anointing mean? And I was looking through and, and blown away by how much this was used in Scripture. Remember, Christ and Messiah both mean anointed one. So, we share in this anointing, we're anointed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, what does it mean? Basically, it means pouring oil on somebody, uh, and it's usually associated with times of rejoicing or celebration. So we see it used in personal grooming and stuff that, yes, but also holy objects used set apart for religious ceremonies. We see people are anointed in order to demonstrate honor. Um, We see that People are anointed for specific and special offices, like priests would be anointed, kings would be anointed, and prophets would be anointed. And why? People would be anointed for purification, for healing, and for burial preparation. And so we see that this is this is us. We have been set aside by the Holy Spirit for a special purpose. Um, we've been purified. We've been healed and uh it's a, it's a mark of honor. It's a blessing. It's a commissioning that we have received by the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians 1 says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Thus, if you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit, you've been singled out by God for a special favor or responsibility. Uh, One of the verses in here that tripped me up, he says in 27, uh, the anointing you received from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. What does it mean that you don't need anyone to teach you? (laughs) Um, I don't think he means that You know, you have no need for further instruction based on the fact that he's sending them a letter of instruction. I think what he's saying here is, hey, you've got these people who are trying to add or subtract to the gospel, and they're trying to take you off on a different thing that you didn't originally hear. The Holy Spirit in you is confirming and will confirm that you know what is truth, and so you don't need other people to add or subtract to it. It is good, however, to have other people help you along the way, understand the implications of the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. But understanding our anointing and understanding that the anointing teaches us all things makes me think that the kind of teaching that we receive is kind of like on-the-job training. I mean, think about this. He's like, you guys have been anointed for a special purpose and the Spirit's going, it will teach you these things. It's future tense. It's not that you know all these things right now, but it will teach you these things. I remember when, when Abby and I were in the Dominican Republic and we were leading uh, t- teams and trips down there, we have a medical clinic and we would bring these teams to the medical clinic for tours and nurses would come and tour our group and show us the clinic. And I remember maybe the first time ever I was leading this team to the clinic and then just kind of handing it off to the nurse there. My boss, Tim, said, Hey, pay attention because you may have to lead this next time. And I was like, okay, that's good. Cause I was just kind of going to sit here and talk to Abby, you know, whatever. But he said, no, you may, you may have to lead this sometime. It's on the job training. Tim didn't sit me down when we were stateside and say, all right, we're going to have two hours on how to lead a seminary tour. or uh, We also had seminary tours, but how to lead a medical tour. When I was there and as I was participating, it was on-the-job training. And, and many of you all have experienced that sort of thing. Maybe you do some pre-training, but a lot of your job is you're learning as you go. And that's kind of how it is to live into that anointing that we have with the, with the Holy Spirit. And in the Holy Spirit, we learn and we grow Christ has anointed us. He has blessed us and commissioned us for this glorious purpose. <clears throat> and then and then finally, he says, see that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. And then in verse 27, uh, as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, and then at the end of that, just as he has taught you, remain in him. So we see this six times here. Remain, remain, remain. What does it mean? First of all, know that the spirit remains in you. Have assurance that the spirit of God remains in you. But then also be challenged that it's it's a mutual thing, right? Right? God is remaining in us, and we remain in him. He says, if if what you have heard remains in you, you will remain in the Son and in the Father. So what do we know about remaining? Uh, Just a couple quick points here. First, remaining comes by faith. We see that in Ephesians 3. uh, Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith. Remaining comes from holding on to his teachings See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, right? Uh, and then John 8:31 says, "If you hold on to my teachings, you are really my disciples." The second Thessalonians, I could go on, on on and on. Second Timothy chapter three, Second John chapter nine. "Whoever remains in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Third John three and four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking, remaining in the truth." And then remaining in Christ also depends on our obedience to him in, first, or in, in John chapter 15 it says if you keep my commands you will remain in my love as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love and then the chapter before he says anyone who obeys my teaching loves me my father will love him and will come to them and make our home with them my, my, my final point here is uh, that Christians hold fast in temptation by remaining in Christ Christians hold fast in temptation by remaining in Christ. There's going to be these temptations to separate. There's going to be temptations to give in to these, these different uh, philosophies and ideas that are antithetical to the gospel. The main, the, main, the main point here is that knowing that there are people and spiritual forces trying to rip you away from God, remain in him. Remain in him. Follow the example here. Commit to the the church. Uh, Hold fast to the profession of the faith that Jesus alone saves. Remember and explore your anointing in the Holy Spirit. So so what do we do with this? Um, First of all, there, there may be some of us who are... Living antithetically, uh, we haven't confessed that Jesus alone saves. I would encourage you all look, see what it says. Don't be against Christ, walk with Christ. Confess that Jesus alone is the Christ. And then there are uh, us, we need the purification. I, I see this as I was seeking in my own heart this week. It's like, man, I see the way that these different things have distracted me. Uh, it's, it's, um, they've distracted me. I think, okay, if I just have this, then life will be good. If I just have this, then life will be good. I'll have peace or I'll have more rest. And once again, sometimes those things do bring those things, but they, are they distracting me from remembering that ultimately my hope, my faith, my joy ought to be in Christ. And then lastly, I thought, we've heard this word antichrist. We probably have different preconceived notions of what what that means. And I wonder if that might lead us to feeling fearful or Having some sort of paranoia. I remember watching the, the Left Behind movies when I was a kid. And this, um, I, I just remember the one guy who was the embodiment of all evil and um, just feeling, feeling terrified of that. And I, not, to, not to get into the theology because I haven't thought much about it, but um, in this, it seems to be a lot more insidious. So what do we do? How do we interact with those ideas and people that are speaking and doing things that are antithetical to the Christ? Um, Well, I think think we look at the way that Jesus interacted with the people who were living lives contrary to the gospel. And Jesus was always loving them. It's important to differentiate, knowing that, okay, these, they aren't Christ. I need to love them and, and minister to them. Um, I think there's this, this kind of tension between exclusion and embrace, understanding that there is a theological difference here that's essential. And so they don't share the unity that we share as believers. But there's this embrace knowing that, man, the way that Christ treated the people was love. And we remember that prodigal sons can still return. You know, Judas denied Jesus, but so did Peter. And Peter received grace and and forgiveness um, because he came back. Both originated, the prodigal son and Peter, both originated with the families. Then they left and they came back. And praise God for this. Because... Ultimately, all of us, before we knew Christ, were living this way. We were against Christ. We were living lives contrary to the, the gospel. And so we remember that, but for the grace of God, we're the same way. Um, so let's pray together as we, as we conclude here. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word um thank you for revealing in this in this letter Lord the the spirits of the Antichrist contrary to you um, Lord I pray that you help us use discernment and humility as we see the way that those spirits insidiously are, are moving in, in our lives if that's happening Lord we know that um, we all are sinful and we need your we need your help in this uh, God give us, Uh, wisdom. Thank you for the anointing of your spirit and um, help us remain in you and remain connected to your body. Lord, we love you so much and uh, pray this all in your son's name. Amen.